Welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, unpacking the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. This is the final episode in our series on infrastructure and development in Metro Vancouver, and I'm excited to be speaking with TransLink CEO, Kevin Quinn. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Bridget. So you took on the role of CEO at TransLink last summer, so not quite a year yet, but before we launch into all of the exciting things you're doing at TransLink, I want to back up a bit, and if you could talk about what brought you to our region. Why, why did you choose Vancouver? Sure. Yeah. So uh, great question. I mean, you know, a, a lot of people want to come to Vancouver these days. You know, this region is really growing and I think I'm, I'm probably one of those people. You know, um, TransLink as, a, as a, a transportation authority is really quite well known throughout the, the kind of transit world for having a world-class transportation system and really taking um, a very regional approach to transportation planning and, and that I think has served it very well as it's worked with various municipalities to build out the system. So uh, just the the investments that have been made, the ridership growth, certainly pre-COVID, right, uh, was uh, really tremendous. And so, you know, Vancouver is very much on the map for having good transit and transportation policy. So that was that was a big one for me. And then I'll just say personally, you know, uh, my family and I were big into hiking and biking and all the great outdoor stuff that that the Metro Vancouver region has to offer. And so that was Certainly a big piece for me as well. And how would you say that Vancouver, the community, and also transit challenges and opportunities compare to the organizations that you were with previously? You came from Baltimore, correct? Yeah, that's right. So I'd say, uh, you know, it's relatively similar, a a little bigger in some areas, you know, so so in in Maryland, um, I was managing a pretty sizable commuter rail system, similar to the West Coast Express, but it was probably about, I don't know, five or, or seven times bigger. You know, on the other hand, uh, I thought I had a pretty sizable bus system I was managing in Baltimore with about 65 bus routes. You know, here in Metro Vancouver, I think it's like 250, right? So clearly <laughs> a bigger bus system. So, you know, a little bigger here, a little smaller there, but all in all, a, a, a truly connected multimodal system. And that's, again, that's, I, I think, a big piece of the success of, uh, of TransLink and, and why Metro Vancouver does so well. You connect all those multimodal pieces that serve everybody in different ways. That really sets the region up for success very well. So no easy task taking on uh, the role at TransLink at the height of the pandemic. Transit ridership had dramatically decreased. We were all working from home. And when you look now, uh, you know, some people are saying that we're coming out of it. I'm very hopeful that we're coming out of the pandemic. We certainly see a lot more people in the downtown core and more people working from the office. But what are uh, ridership levels like now? How, How much have we recovered? Sure. So uh, we sit here today at the end of March uh, at around 67% of pre-pandemic ridership. And and so, you know, I'll take you back to March of 2020, the pandemic hits. Uh, We dropped to, I think it was around 14, 15% of normal ridership levels, right? And and this this happens worldwide. Everybody drops into single digits or teen percentages, right? Uh, And so, 
We then kind of came up, we plateaued. When I started back in July, we were right around 40%. We plateaued around 40% as we saw that people still needed to get to work, a lot of those essential workers that needed to uh, to get out. And now uh, things are starting to open up. We've, we're seeing those health restrictions lifted. And so uh, again, we sit here today at 67%. We do a good bit of, of, uh, of modeling as we've gone through uh, COVID. We projected around 80% by the end of 2022. And I, I'm pretty confident that we're going to hit that. Uh, we may even exceed it a little bit. But Even with people still, yeah. I, I guess, working in a hybrid fashion, uh, you still, yeah. still think 80% is about where we'll get to. Yeah, I think 80% is about where we get to, but I think you're you're getting at a big unknown, right? We mm-hmm. we don't yet know how the the hybrid work environment uh, is really going to change sort of the transportation paradigm. Are we going to get to 75 and we're going to have to really fight to get to that 80%? Is it 80 and we're going to have to fight to get to 85 or 86? I don't know. You know, we 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 really don't know. I, I think you know something that we have seen loud and clear is that. When people have a place to go, they are using transit, right? So uh, that could be uh, Canucks games, that could be the Shipyards Festival, that could be Halloween, right? When those occasions are happening, people are using transit. Those are days where we have had our highest transit ridership since the pandemic started, right? So, you know, as things open up, we're all going to be living this new world together, figuring it out together. And one of the things that we'll certainly be keeping an eye on is what what ridership is looking like as we uh, have a new hybrid world we're all living in. Yeah, there's so many unknowns still, for sure. The decrease in ridership, though, has obviously had an impact on revenues. And noting that uh, TransLink is looking at a fare increase of about 2%, which will help in the immediate term. But when you look long term, you know, what are some of the solutions for funding some of the big projects that we're talking about and also to ensure that we're getting more people out of their vehicles and into transit? Yeah. So, you know, you're really hitting on a couple pieces. So one is, is, is the short term, right? What are we doing in the short term to shore up our finances? And so um, we're working with the province and, and the federal government and the mayors and everybody to kind of come together on some solutions, because as we just discussed, there's, there's some unknowns, right, about, uh, about ridership and how robustly it's going to come back. So I think for our part right now, it's it's how do we solve for the short term? How do we solve for the next few years to just stabilize our funding, to keep those, those levels high? And I'll tell you, there are lots of transit uh, agencies all throughout North America, the world really, that have dramatically cut their service levels in response to reduced ridership. And TransLink is one of the few uh, that has, you know, we've, we've cut about 4% of service, 3% of service. It's been very, very minimal. And that's been very targeted. I'm really proud of that because we've kept service levels up. We're going to continue to keep service levels up. And part of the short-term funding is let's keep those service levels up so that we can bring people back so that they know they're coming back to a reliable system. But, you know, you've hit on a larger question, which is what do we do in the long run? So, you know, a couple of things, you know, one is we know that the ridership fares side of things can be unstable, that in the face of something like a pandemic, that's maybe not as stable as we once thought it was, right? So that used to represent pre-pandemic rider fares uh, actually represented 58% of the operating budget. It's now down in the mid thirties, right? So we, we've got to figure out what do we do with this unstable funding source? The second piece is um, uh, the fuel tax. We know that with the rise of electric vehicles, 
uh, with everybody trying to be greener, that that, you know, that's a declining revenue source for us. It's and also we, a bit of a hot button issue right now, given, you know, people are going to the pump and paying way more than they used to. So that's, uh, I think, a sensitive one for a lot of uh, the people it, in the population. It is interesting because with these gas prices that are just something that I think none of us ever thought we'd see in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. You know, so TransLink's portion of that doesn't change. It's a set amount. I think there's some misconceptions out there that as that goes up, the amount that TransLink you're not making more up. on the back. No, of, we, we've yes, <laughs> we've got 18.5 cents per liter. That's it. It's a set amount, right? And actually, when gas prices go up, we get less because people buy less gas, right? So as gas prices have gone up, we've actually seen our revenues from fuel decrease. Whether it's gas prices going up and people buying less gas or converting to electric vehicles, either way, we've got a significantly declining revenue source that's sort of the part of the three-legged stool of fares, property taxes, and fuel tax. And maybe walk us through, I know it's pretty complicated, but the revenue source isn't just to keep the sky trains and the buses running. That revenue source is really for some long-term planning that has huge implications right across the region. Can you yeah. walk us through a little bit about what revenue is used for? Sure. So so uh, much of that revenue goes towards operating funding. And that operating funding is, ex- is exactly what you're saying, You know, keeping the sky train moving, keeping buses moving, wages and salaries for operators, for mechanics, for everybody across TransLink, really all 8,000 employees. It pay, really pays to keep things moving smoothly. And any hit to that, uh, which is really where we sit today, a couple hundred million dollars short per year, is all a lot of that is from you know those uh, those fares, the fare revenues that we haven't seen. So it's it's similar to a bank account at your house. You don't have the money in the bank. You've got to either figure out the money or you you've got to make really hard decisions right around service levels. And so I, I think we've been so fortunate to have um, a provincial government that uh, you know it, it's been I'll, I'll just say as a newcomer to come in and see how much this region and the province really cares about transit and understands how very critical it is to the movement of the region and and how everything really grinds to a halt if those buses and those sky trains aren't moving every single day. So, uh, you know, it's so interesting because, uh, you know, a change in the funding can have really serious implications for moving people to their office, uh, moving people around to go to events. And so we hope that we don't get there. How would you say that we have fared though compared to other cities in Canada? I think ex- extremely well. You know, TransLink is and Vancouver is really leading the way in, in Canada in terms of ridership recovery, you know, and compared to the other cities, you know, we are ahead of the North American average. We're ahead of the four largest cities in Canada. And so uh, us and I think uh, uh, TransLink and New York City Transit were the first to break the 60% of pre-COVID ridership uh, kind of barrier. And we're still going up. You know, we, we're, we're hitting some highs now around this 66, 67, 68%. Uh, and so I think that's going to keep going up. I, I'll also just note that part of keeping transit affordable is really key. And so, you know, to kind of go back to this revenue piece for a second, you know, we did do this, we had this recent 2.3% fare increase, but I have to note that that's even with that fare increase, uh, TransLink is still the lowest fare uh, of the largest metropolitan cities in Canada. And, And on top of that, that fare increase was half of what the inflation rate is. So, 
we've we've got to find a way. You know, we just talked about revenue. We've got to keep things moving, uh, and we have to keep things affordable for all of our customers. Well, and it's the balance with keeping people moving, but also the the environment, which is I want to talk about next yeah. because uh, you you put out your climate action strategy, great plan to laying out a pathway to get to net zero and. And, and certainly, I think there's an accelerated conversation about this. Um, certainly, you know, the federal government taking more action, industry taking more action, and, you know, now TransLink uh, also laying out its pathway to get there. But we need more people to be riding transit to do that. But what are some of the other important factors of this plan? How, how is TransLink going to do that? Yeah, I, so, I, you know, first, I'll just start by noting that, you know, TransLink represents about two and a half percent of the GHGs of the region, right? So, so our buses, there's a lot of focus on our buses. And so we are absolutely committed. Part of that is getting people out of cars, right? Sing, those single occupancy vehicles are what's really putting out a lot of the emissions in this region. But we need to do our part as well in, in you know, making sure that our buses and our fleet are as green as they can be so that people are, are trading uh, putting that, leaving that vehicle in the garage and jumping onto transit and making a really green option. So for our part, um, you know, our our overall plan is that we've got a, a, a fully uh, electric fleet or, or at least low carbon fleet, zero emission fleet um, by the year 2040. And uh, the big piece for us are the uh, hybrid diesel and diesel buses that are out on the road today, right? Those are the largest emitters of, of you know, particulate. And so, you know, by 2030, we will have uh, gotten 400 of those off the road. That's a big chunk. And then we'll get the rest of those uh, off the road by uh, mid-2030s, 2035. And then the full fleet of both community shuttles, handy dart vehicles, things like that, also, you know, fully... Uh, zero emission by the year 2040. But I, I also have just to note that TransLink has a great head start because it already has a fully electric trolleys, right? All the trolleys, they're already electric. Guess what? They've been the there Sky a long train. time. They're right. They've been here a while. The SkyTrain, fully electric, right? So when you look at it from a passenger standpoint, you know, we did the math once. I think it's around a third of our passengers today are already on a zero emission transit option, right? And it's it's now let's solve for the rest of those two thirds. We have to build the facilities so that we have the charging capacity and charging capabilities. And then we've got to buy those vehicles uh, and replace and get those those older uh, hybrid diesels off the off the road. Speaking of planning for the future and solving uh, for the future, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Transport 2050. Uh, that is a big, ambitious plan. Can you walk us through you know, some of the first steps and, and what riders can expect? Sure. So, you know, Transport 2050 is a, is a big 30-year vision. You know, that's, that's big. And so people are going to see those changes over uh, and projects that get implemented over the course of time. But, you know, a, a couple really big ones that I think are some of the the boldest in North America. You know, one piece is quadrupling, quadrupling the size of the rapid transit network, right? So that's, that's you know, rapid transit buses uh, coming at 15 minute or better frequencies, quadrupling that in the region. That's, that's, that's pretty tremendous. That's an additional 300 kilometers of additional rapid transit by the year 2050. So uh, what that looks like for your average rider is a lot more bus service because uh, it, it's going to be, uh, it, we we can't build SkyTrain everywhere. I, a lot of people seem to really like SkyTrain. We it would like it if service. you could do that at no cost. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people would say that. <laughs> yes, of course, right? But 
you can you can roll out bus service a lot faster and rapid bus service. You can you can get that going. You can serve the region better, faster with that. And that's not to say that that couldn't one day, for example, graduate to a sky train line, right? That's not saying that can't happen, but we've got to increase the amount of rapid transit that's out there. And, and the second piece is building uh, an 850 kilometer um, major bikeway network, right? We've got to make biking easier throughout our communities. Uh, that active transportation also has to play a really key role in our fight against climate change. It, it, it can't just be transit. We've also got to get people onto bikes and onto sidewalks and all of those things. We've got to make it easier for people to make those, to make those choices. That's such a good point, Kevin, because, you know, you think about people who are coming into Vancouver to work and they're coming from all over the place, you know, from the North Shore, uh, which is a huge congestion point. Yeah. Or, you know, there's people who just trying to get from Broadway, which is, you know, another congestion point yeah. or even, you know, Simon Fraser University and discussions about the gondola. So when you you step back and you take a look at the region, you know, everybody not necessarily a competition for their projects, but, you know, certainly some competing interests to try and get everything built as fast as possible with limited amount of funds to do that. So, you know, how do you set priorities then and, and recognizing that, you know, there's an immediate congestion point here, but looking, you know, five, 10 years down the road, trying to build for the future of the region. Yeah. So the, the, you know, transport 2050, our 30 year plan really kind of, it sets the vision, right? It kind of says, here's what we want to look like in 30 years, but you're right. You know, we've, we got to get down to the nitty gritty. At some point, we've got to make some some hard decisions about um, which projects come first. And so this is where, you know, in coordination with with our board and with the mayor's council, you know, they put together a a 10 year plan. You know, they take a look at the priorities over the next 10 years. And uh, from a regional perspective, uh, we help do a lot of that technical analysis and really provide the, the information to senior policymakers to really make those tough decisions about, about where the next investments are going to go. And that's, a, that's actually a process that we are in as we speak with our mayor's council of um, having those tough decisions, have tough choices, uh, uh, conversations about, you know, where those next investments are going to be. And what are the, some of the factors at play? Uh, you know, population growth, obviously, is one of yeah. them, the movement of people. But, you know, what other things are you looking at? Are you looking at you know, connecting housing development to certain projects or, you know, yeah. how, like, how does it become a bigger priority? It's a great question. Um, and I, what I you're feel like the big I, bucks for, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I feel as though I've had a bit of a front row seat to a lot of these conversations, which I'll, I'll say is, um, as a planner has been really fascinating for me. You know, you can solve for a lot of different problems. You know, you could say, Hey, if we want to solve, let's, let's take the most congested area, right? Let's put our money there. And you could, you could make a, a project that solves for congestion your number one priority, right? I'm, I'm going to say, I'm not going to name a single place, right? No, because you everybody could, will have a different thought about they that. They will, right? They'll say, well, I know what that is. You could solve for where population is going to increase the most. You could say, oh my gosh, this is the area that's going to grow the most. That's where we should be sinking funds. You could say, hey, here's where we're going to get the most ridership. You could say, here's where existing ridership is and where it's going to continue to grow and say that should be the first priority, right? You could say what's going to advance reconciliation the fastest, right? What's, what's, the, what's the project that advances reconciliation and, and provides service to reserve lands that historically haven't been served? There's lots of lenses for this. And, you know, we do our best again to kind of, you know, provide the information to policymakers and try to guide those conversations so that as a region, we can you know, make those decisions collectively and comprehensively uh, with an eye to the future. 
and then getting alignment with 20 plus municipalities um, to serve the full region. Yeah. Not an easy task. That's right. It's it's not an easy task. I think, you know, one of the one of the benefits though is what, what I've seen is that the municipalities, the various municipalities understand that we are linked together as a region and that um, no matter whether it's residents in your community, it is likely they are going and, and working in another community or going to school in another community, right? It is a very connected region and TransLink, you know, serves as kind of the, you know, the, the arteries for all of it, you know, getting people to and from people recognize this, uh, that, that transit is the key to it all. And I will be honest with you that in many cities throughout North America and a lot of the United States, this is not the case. That is a, you have to fight that fight every single day to, to push and prod and say, no, transit is the way to go. This is how the region can be connected. And um, it's not always like that. Here it is. Here people, they, they do seem to get it. They understand that those investments are what we need to reduce congestion, to solve for the climate crisis, to solve for the affordability issues, the equity issues that we have in this region. They recognize that transportation and, and, and transit in particular can be such a problem solver towards so many of these important things. Well, I know when we ask our members, um, they're very supportive of transit and they want more transit so they can get out of their vehicle more often. Um, so yeah. there's lots of support for more, more, more. Uh, but yeah. of course, the funding is always the, the tricky part. <laughs> that is. So you came into the role less than a year ago, faced with some pretty significant challenges around ridership and the pandemic and also coming from the United States and understanding Canada and understanding our region. Yeah. So as we wrap up our conversation, you know, there's so much underway at TransLink. You know, what would you say that you are most looking forward to, uh, most excited about as you look ahead as we're, again, as we're hopefully coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, uh, well, I'll say that's my number one hope, right? That we are coming <laughs> out of the pandemic, that, you know, your your listeners aren't, someone doesn't come back six months from now and say, ha ha, you know, weren't they, weren't they so silly, you know, thinking we were coming out. So I, I do believe we're coming out. I'm hopeful that we're coming out and that we'll see ridership you know, come back up. I think that's really important. I, I think I'm really excited to, you know, TransLink is really on the front lines of, of this climate crisis. And uh, a lot of other transportation authorities are reaching out to us to find out what we're doing to address the climate emergency. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really proud to have us on the front lines of that fight and that battle and, and helping to lead the charge and showing what it takes to build the right facilities and, and, and plan for the future, whether it's a 30-year plan or a climate uh, strategy, all of these things, you know, we've we've really done a good job laying the groundwork and the foundation in the place. And and that's nice, right? We're at the front end of a lot of work to be done. And in a way, I, I prefer that than being sort of at the back end of a lot of work that, that just got completed. We're ready to, you know, get in the weeds and, you know, do the good work of the region. So I'm, I'm excited about all that's yet to come on climate and affordability. This region could use some help on the affordability side, right? And, and allowing people, giving them good transit reliability to allow them to ditch their cars is a key Stop one. paying high gas prices. Yeah, yes, the affordability right? is a, a really important piece yeah. that transit is a, a solution for as well. That's right. Yeah. So, so super excited to be here. A lot of work to do. Kevin, thank you so much for taking some time with me today. And join us next week when we'll be launching our series on regional leadership with the City of North Vancouver Mayor Linda Buchanan, who also is a big supporter of transit over on the North Shore. So I'm sure we'll talk about transit then too. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs>